Well, good afternoon and welcome to Round the Table Live with Christian Concern. And today we're talking about the false gospel of same-sex marriage and the news that several bishops and churchmen have come out saying that they support uh, same-sex marriage. And I'm delighted today to be, welcomed, uh, to be able to welcome Reverend Calvin Robinson, um, parish priest and also uh, presenter on GB News to discuss this um, with us. Thank you for joining us, Calvin. Um, and also uh, Andrea Williams, Chief Executive of Christian Concern, fresh from completing the New York Marathon last this weekend with the, medal, with the medal in her hand <laughs> as she speaks. How are you doing, Andrea? I'm doing really well, thank you. I'm, it was it was wonderful to complete to complete that marathon. Eleven marathons on, but it's uh, you know, you, when you run a marathon, you really understand the biblical imagery um, that that Paul speaks of of running of running the race and running the race race to the end. So um, it's great to just really understand that when you put in a distance like that. And, and I was running it. it very much for Christian concern, for the work, which was um, wonderful too. And so thank you, everyone. Thank you to everyone that's supported and been part of this journey and all the encouragements over so many days and weeks now. I've really loved it and I've felt the love. And it's my delight to have raised over £100,000 now for uh, Christian concern. And we really need that uh, for, for the work. And I, as I always say, the, the continual unfolding miracle, which is the provision for this work, and then our ability to serve people uh, in the public space who simply for saying that marriages between a man and a woman lose their jobs. Yeah. Uh, that's and that and to be able to say to them, to be able to say to them, we um, we will watch over you, we will look after you, we won't charge you a penny for looking after you. We do this because it's our Christian service. That's. Yeah. The great privilege of my life and of course then to contend also for this truth in public life to say yeah. to the government to say to the church uh, to say to the world to say to the watching world that jesus is the light of the world but also that god made us and he made knows how he made us and he know he knows yeah. how life works and that a fundamental building block is marriage between one man and one woman and for children um, to be created within within that unit and watched over and looked after within that unit. Well, that's a great truth. It works, and um, it's wonderful uh, through the Christi work of Christian so, conservatives. So there was a kind of you know shocking and disturbing milestone in the life of the Church of England, wasn't there, uh, last week when the senior bishop, Bishop of Oxford, um, came out, so to speak, with a with an essay saying that he supports, makes the case for... Um, same-sex marriage um, so a, a senior bishop coming out saying that and then several other bishops followed suit or said we agree or we want this too um, and so suddenly for the first time I think you've had bishops openly saying we think the church should change its practice or even its doctrine um, in relation to marriage uh, in order to affirm or bless or celebrate um, same-sex um, relationships. Calvin what was your reaction to this news when it came out? I think I was astonished, to be honest. I, I was watching, I was keeping track. I was like, oh, there's the Bishop of Oxford. There's the Bishop of Worcester, Dudley, the Bishop of Europe, Reading, Buckingham, Dorchester, uh, Repton. And I was like, okay, they, these bishops keep adding up, keep adding up, more and more bishops keep coming up, promoting the idea of a change in Christian doctrine. Where are the bishops uh, in opposition to that? Where are the bishops who are going to stand up and say, well, no, we have to 
um, affirm the truth and adhere to Christian doctrine. And we cannot change it, must not change it. You cannot mm. change the truth. And they didn't appear. Not one of them stood up in opposition to this ridiculous statement. Uh, that shocked me first and foremost. But then I suppose I should have expected it coming out of, you know, we've just had Lambeth a couple of weeks ago and, and they, they wouldn't even reaffirm resolution I-10 uh, that simply states that marriage is between one man and one woman and uh, homosexual lifestyles are incompatible with faith. Basic truths of Christian doctrine. Um, I, I, I'm struggling to comprehend why a bishop whose job it is to protect the faith, defend the faith, and to promote mm. and proclaim the faith cannot do that. And, and who has sworn a vow and his all-nation vows to uphold and protect and proclaim the teaching of the Church of England. And the teaching of the Church of England very explicitly, Canon B10, if I remember correctly, marriage between a man and a woman. Um, they're violating their ordination vows, are they not, Calvin? Uh, well, of course they are, but I don't think they even understand that. So I, I asked all of these bishops to come on my show uh, on GB News the other day, and none of them accepted. And eventually I got uh, the former Bishop of Repton, who's now, of course, the principal of Cudston, to come on. And I, I asked, you know, what is the purpose of marriage? And he couldn't give me a biblical response. He started to talk about love is love and all of this kind of fluffy liberal nonsense. I was like, what about procreation? What about family? What about the, the core unit of the family? And like, where's the Christian background of, of marriage and the purpose of marriage? I don't think they understand what marriage is for anymore. So there's no wonder they're no longer defending it. Wow. Yeah. Um, is- Andrew, what's your reaction to this? Well, I paused because Calvin said that he was astonished. And I'm always astonished that I'm still astonished. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because as Calvin said, how hard can it really be for the bishop just to be a bishop? But I remember thinking this in 2011 Mm. when the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, was announced to be the Archbishop of Canterbury. And it was a time when David Cameron was introducing the notion of same-sex marriage into law. Mm. And I, I, I sometimes say this, when I was a student barrister, a student lawyer um, in the 1980s, the mid-1980s, if you had ever said at that point in family law that marriage would be redefined to be two men or two women, I don't actually think that anyone in that lecture room, and we're only talking the 1980s, would have really believed that to be possible, or that family would be so wholly redefined to be any any construct, two men, two women, married, civilly partnered, living together with children, either naturally or by way of fertility treatment, so that these family units were all equivalent in law. This would have been something that was unthinkable for that block of students who were studying family law or constitutional law back in the mid-1980s. But we fast forward to 2011, when our basic understanding, not just of what marriage is, but what family is, and therefore what family law is, and all of these, because as Calvin said, it's much, what is marriage for? Well, it's 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 the cornerstone of civilization. It's the, cor- it's the cornerstone of the protection of children. It's the how now we live. It's how we construct uh, it has how we construct a society. It's not developed on a on a whim. It's not we, what we want it to be. And and indeed, um, in a sense, the government can, can redefine marriage 
they can say they've redefined marriage, but it, they can't. That isn't marriage. It's not marriage. Well, that's it. Well, because because you, wrote, you wrote a blog on this, didn't you? You said um, gay marriage is not marriage in your blog. Maybe my friends can put the link up there. And by the way, if you're watching live, um, do ask your questions. I can see that Bidar from Nepal is watching. Um, and various other people are commenting there. If you've got questions for Calvin or, or Andrea, um, do put them in there. Uh, but Calvin, you made this point in your in your blog, didn't you? Gay marriage is not marriage. Yeah, I mean, we, words have meanings. The definition of marriage it has traditionally been one man and one woman uniting under God. Uh, some people see it as a sacrament, but others see it as something that was ordained by God before sacraments were even a thing. And um, mm. Either way, it's a holy union between a man and a woman. And if you start to extend that meaning to other things and say, actually, it's two men too, and it's also two women, then why not three women? Why not polygamy well, too? Yeah. Why, where, where's the bounds on this? And surely, in terms of the law, these things have to have a defined structure. Otherwise, how can you legislate for it? How can you make, how, it doesn't have a meaning. But in terms of faith, like Andrew was saying, it's the cornerstone of our civilization. And without it, we don't survive as a people. Now. I'm not sitting here saying that alternative lifestyles are good or bad. I'm not passing any judgment, but I'm saying call them whatever you like. But this is what marriage is. And marriage is a Christian um, ideal. And we've forgot the purpose of ideals. Even the I, even saying that it's a, an ideal now is hate speech to suggest that a heteronormative exis, existence of a positive male role model and a positive female role model in a household to 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 help a family thrive that's seen as a bad thing now the world has been flipped so far upside down well it's mm. romans one isn't it it's where we literally do we exchange the truth for a lie and we call what is good bad we approve of yeah. sin we approve of the things how, how do you think how how do you think we've got to this point where bishops don't know what marriage is well i suppose because they're all liberal now like, like, I, I would be actually comfortable with one or two bishops pushing a liberal progressive agenda that would feel normal to me to have a couple of outliers but for it to be the norm that's what's concerning to see 10 bishops come out in favor of altering christian doctrine and not a single one come out to defend it that's what's troubling where are the conservative voices within the church or without the church even you know you guys are fantastic for hosting this conversation but other than this where where is the defense of the faith we've seen ian paul we've seen vaughan roberts that's about it. The CEEC finally came out, but their guidance was, I, I was shocked by that too, to be honest with you, how much they capitulated. Like, where's the strong conservative evangelical voice? They're proposing a compromise solution, Catholic voice. Where are all these people? CEEC, by the way, for those who don't know, is, is um, what does it stand for? Um, conservative Evangelical um, Council, something like that? Yes, I can't remember. In the Church of England. Well, now, but yeah. Something like that. Anyway, that's the group of evangelicals, and they've put out a statement, but they're, they're actually proposing a compromise on this as well. Um, so, oh, so nobody sees the truth. Yes. This idea that they can't, and I, I think I just, just finishing, because I got, I, I sort of sidetracked myself really, but on the, make, on the making the Archbishop of Canterbury point. Yes. But I feel that it goes, I talk about the 1980s, which was, wasn't so long ago, but in 2011, if the, if Justin Welby, as the Archbishop of Canterbury, was not at that point, able to say absolutely clearly so that the world could hear and the bishops could be led that marriage is between a man and a woman. If he at that point, when he he voted against the introduction of same-sex marriage, but he also talked about provision uh, in terms of civil partnerships for same-sex couples. When yeah. the leaders of the church, when the leaders of the church yeah. begin 
to either tacitly or or openly yeah. of same-sex relationships and the recognition of them as akin to marriage. Yes. And this is what's been going on. And yeah. not to be able to call that out, you know, to, to, in terms of biblical teaching, in terms yes. of how of how we should live, then there is then there is a real issue because that is the job of the leaders of the church. Yeah. And indeed, yes. again, something else that's shocking is that these bishops that have openly defied the doctrine of the Church of England, well, what is it the bishops, um, the other bishops ought to do? What is it that the archbishops ought to do? Yes. They ought to discipline them. They should be they should be removed because because again, what we see, you know, because the, the, the Bible has a lot to say about disciplining those that yeah. lead the focus. And straight. about false teachers. Yeah. And false teachers. Yeah. So so anyway, so so just just um CEC by the way is Church of England Evangelical Council. Sorry, I there we go. Thank you, Paul. Um, <laughs> but um just to sort of backtrack on how we've got here as well in terms of what's happening now. So the Church of England's been going through this process called Living in Love and Faith, where they've been trying to sort of discuss the whole issue about sexual uh, morality. Um and this is coming up for a synod meeting where the bishops are planning to propose what the response is to this living and love faith process, I think, in February. And the bishops had a meeting last week, and it seems like the bishops were given permission for the first time um, in this process to actually say what they think um, about this. Um, and what, what was shocking to me, though, I don't know if you saw this, Calvin, because it's reported that, quote, it's understood the bishops acknowledge that simply to restate the existing ban on same-sex blessings or marriage in the church is not an option. Mm, mm, so the yeah. bishop so concluded that they can't preserve marriage. Yeah. Well, we saw this at Lambeth when, they, uh, Lambeth when they refused to reaffirm the resolution that was quite straightforward and very Christian. But we also saw this in the Bishop of Oxford's uh, report that he charged two people £2.50 to read, um, in that he acknowledges that it would mean a change in doctrine and still proposes it anyway. So it's not like these people are being ignorant or, or innocent about this. They know what they're proposing. They're proposing to change the faith, to alter the faith. And I think it comes from a place of this, you know, this winsomeness, this niceness, um, and wanting to be inclusive for the LGBT community. And of course, we have to be compassionate and we have to be inclusive in terms of welcoming everyone into the church. But people keep saying things like, but Christ taught that love is love and Christ loved everyone. It's like, yes, of course, Christ loves everyone, but it doesn't want us to stay the way we are. Christ spent time with sinners, but the sinners went away changed, not Christ. We have to get that message across that everyone is welcome to come to church. Of course they are but to be changed through an experience with Christ. And it's, it's not about changing the church or changing Christ's teachings to make people feel comfortable with their sins. It's about making people feel comfortable to come to church, to repent from their sins so that mm. they leave without them. That's the purpose of, of the pr priests and the bishops. And if they've lost track of that, they've lost track of what their calling is all about. But we've seen this, you know, this has been going on for a long, long time. So we already have, I mentioned that there aren't any, many voices fighting for orthodoxy. And I think the reason why, you know, my end of the church, the Anglo-Catholic end of the church, I see there are already, I would go at this point say a majority of the priests are homosexual already. And, and a lot of those are practicing homosexual, as in have civil partnerships. They're not really? allowed marriage yet because it's still illegal under canon law, but they will call it marriage. And living with their gay partners, practicing with their gay partners. This is already breaking the Christian doctrine. This is already breaking our teaching. This is already, it should be a disciplinary offense, but it's been kept quiet and 
hush hush under the carpet and the, the the section of the church of england that proclaims to be orthodox as in on the anglican uh, end at least has uh, on the high end high church end at least has been saying things like we don't believe in the ordination of women etc etc great fine but at the same time closing their eyes to the issues of, of homosexuality homosexuality that's rife in those circles so of course they're not going to stand up and speak out uh, against gay marriage because they're in favor of it they're not in favor of orthodoxy they're just against female ordination it's it's become a gay man's club and i'm sorry to put it so hyperbolically and of course what it, what you've got there is that essentially it's the the practice is sinful and so what they're and so that of the practice is sinful, and then what follows from there is doctrine follows the practice. So yeah. doctrine should shape practice, but what pra- should should like uphold, uphold what people do because that's yeah. the truth. But in fact, what happens is that on the ground, those that should be leading are practicing sin, yeah, and and are moving the doctrine towards something that is sinful. Also, you just in what Calvin said there in terms of we come to Christ in order for our sins to be forgiven. And this very high bar of purity, which the Bible draws us to, which Christ draws us to, um, he tells us to go, and, he tells the sinner to go and sin no more. Um, but also this extraordinary and beautiful picture, which is that Christ, the bridegroom, lays down his life. So he sacrificed at the cross, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, but the bridegroom lays down his life. He takes away the sins of the of the of the bride, the church. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's that's you know, that's so, so, um, so let me ask a question. So um, there's been a lot of talk, I think, in the church about calling it good disagreement. You know, good disagreement. Can we walk together? Because people take different views. You've got to allow people to have different views on this. And therefore, you know, shouldn't we just walk together on it and have disagreements and carry on and all be happy ever after? You know, it's a broad church. Calvin, what's your reflections on that? No, because there aren't two paths. We can't walk together on separate paths. There is one way, and that's Jesus Christ. He told us he is the way. And unless we're following him, we're leading people astray. And that's why these these bishops are wolves. That's that's the, the the crux of the matter. You know, look at the society. I just mentioned the, the Anglo-Catholics. Look at the society. Look at the bishops within the society. Contact them, viewers. Ask them why they're not standing up for orthodoxy. And look at the people that they're ordaining and the relationships that they're in. And then question why the bishops are going ahead with this. Um, Andrea rightly mentions that Christ is the bridegroom and that the church is the bride. This is what Christ told us, right? He he set out the imagery of marriage. Of course, we know marriage existed from the beginning because it's in Genesis. But of course, Christ showed us that he is the groom and we, the church, is are the bride. Now, the church, the bride cannot marry the bride because that would be the church marrying the church without Christ, leaving him out of the situation. That's why mm. you cannot have two brides. It doesn't make any logical sense. Um, mm. And, and, so, and you mentioned also people uh, um, sin no more. I think that's fantastic to remember that line, sin no more. Because people keep quoting me things like, but Jesus died for our sins, as if that kind of means we can continue sinning. <laughs> yes, he died for our sins, but not so he could continue sinning. Uh, people and the message the of the gospel is, that's it. And the message of the gospel is the how now to live. The message of the gospel is actually about the righteousness of God. You know, the, the, the message of the gospel is that we become a forgiven people to live out our lives in, in purity. We are to clothe ourselves with Christ. We are to exhibit the fruits of the spirit we are to 
to become as sinless. We can't become entirely sin, mm -hmm. sinless this side of heaven, but we um, in Christ daily should lay down our sinful selves in order to live mm -hmm. under, under his pure gaze, but in order to seek to live as pure and holy a life as possible. And we, and of course, within the family unit, we, 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 we should raise our children uh, to live as pure and holy lives as possible. So, and thereby pointing to the goodness of God, because holiness does bring great happiness, actually. Purity brings happiness. Purity brings freedom. These things don't enslave. This, the, the, what, the kind of message that the world gives us, that a lack of sexual freedom, a lack of ability to just do what we want with our bodies, somehow um, means that we end up miserable. Well, it's, it's quite the opposite, in fact. You know, so, so Calvin, you mentioned that their aim is to change the doctrine here. Do you actually think that they can manage that? Because I understand that change the doctrine requires a two-third majority of each of the houses of synod, and that 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 each side has got blocking blocking you know majority just over a third to stop that. That's a technicality, Tim. They've already, they've already changed the doctrine. It's already yeah. with these things. It's already it's what it is. It's the uh, the boiling frog syndrome you know that they keep turning up the heat gradually until you don't actually notice you've been bored to death we already have gay marriage within the church it's already happening right now uh, as in people can identify as another gender and the church has said that you marry people based on the gender that they identify as so you could have two men and two women right. marrying each other as long as one of them identifies as the other gender so it's happening in practice legally within the church of england right now which goes to show that they're going to push these things through and they, they, I'm reminded as well that they changed this. Um, they, they made provision, didn't they, for the uh, a liturgy about reaffirmation of baptism vows to be used to affirm someone's transgender identity. Um, extraordinary. And this happened under an evangelical bishop. I yeah. mean, who's a lovely man. Uh, but, but again, there we as evangelicals and um, those bishops that call themselves evangelical mm. should never have allowed this to happen on their watch. So that was, you know, for that for that to have happened under an evangelical um, bishop's watch was a was a great sadness to me. But again, I think what Calvin has said about the need to write to these bishops, the need to write to Justin Welby and Stephen Cottrell, um, to the archbishops, is important. And this we need to begin. Uh, well, we I think we have done over the years, but there there needs to be a campaign of this kind ahead ahead of February, where where we, those of us that, that will love Jesus, but those of us also that love the church, mm. that love the Church of England, that don't, that are deeply sad about the lack of clear vision and the lack of sound. Um, to, yeah. to build on what you've just said, Andrew, I think we need to talk to each other as well. Not, so not just the bishops, we need to talk to other people in society, our, our our unchurched friends and talk to them about freedom from instead of freedom to because you, you mentioned people the sexual revolution and people feel like they're, they're free to have sex with whoever they please and that's liberating but actually it's not because we see that people are more lonely more unhappy and more isolated than they've ever been and that there's something special that comes from uh, sex within marriage rather than just giving that away as 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 a commodity and um, and god provides us freedom from the degeneracy and the debauchery that we see around us in in secular society we need to talk more about the freedom from uh, rather than freedom to because uh, people get lost in that they do you're absolutely right and of course all the all the social stats show that children do best 
um, children when they're raised with a mum and dad in an intact marriage, do all all their metrics, all the all the social outcomes are so much better. When well, I've, I've just read this book. Have you read it, Kevin? The Case Against the Sexual Revolution by uh, Louise Perrin's a secular book, uh, making the case against the secular against the sexual secular sexual um, revolution. And it's shocking. And it, you know, one of the things that most disturbed me, Kevin, was um, over half of eighteen to twenty-four year olds have been strangled in sex. Uh, the the women. You know, that's actually what happens now in university campuses all over the world, um, all over this country. You know, that's in the UK. Um, the, the damage from the sexual revolution is horrific and the church is not standing up against it. Um, but Kevin, I want to ask you, have you, did you read what the Bishop of Oxford said? Was it 52 pages? Any any comments, reflections, sort of, uh, any points that he made you like to sort of come back on? Yeah, I did read it. I found it very troubling because it was very low caliber theology, uh, which is again, something, that I, something I expect from my bishops. I expect them to be strong theologians. I mentioned already the point that he acknowledged that it would mean a changing doctrine, but also that point about um, he was searching the scriptures in order to affirm his beliefs. Like he, he was looking for a way to solve the problem that he'd already concluded. That tells me he's not really reading the scriptures properly. He's not reading them for, for, for them to speak to him. He's speaking to the scripture. He's saying, you need to, you need to affirm what I already believe. You need to find a way for this to, to work and squeeze, mm. squeezing the faith into a box that he's created. And of course it doesn't work like that. You can't, Christ will not fit into your box. Uh, so it's upside down again and inside out. And that really mm. troubles me that this is coming from a bishop. How do we select these people? <laughs> well, there's a question. But but what's, one of the things that really surprised me, Calvin, was he said that genetics determines sexuality. And that's just plain false. I mean, you know, we know from numerous twin studies, identical twin studies, that there's plenty where one is one is homosexually attracted and the other isn't. You know, um, so, you know, it's crazy to say it's genetically determined. It's totally contrary to the science. And yet this bishop has fallen for this complete lie and repeats it in a 52 page document that he thinks is very you know solid the best case he can make <laughs> it's easy to concede that point though because there hasn't been enough science in that area because people are afraid to, to test for that people are afraid to look into genetics genetics for certain things and sexuality is one of them because they don't want to prove what we know to be true yeah but the, but twin studies would prove it's not determined right i mean that's yeah. that's yeah. clear you know, I mean, uh, and increasingly we have, you know, just generally in this field over the last 10 years, um, the, 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 the leading re re researchers that we have, Paul Sullins, um, Andre Van Mol, Professor McHugh, um, all of these studies are available. And um, the, the idea that um, the idea that the Bishop of Oxford could could say this and and bring it down to I mean it doesn't doesn't even accord with the science it's not theological and it's and it doesn't and it doesn't accord with the it doesn't accord with the science, hmm. the science either. But I mean, thing... Mike Cooper here, um, Tim has got an interest. I mean, this is a, a big question yeah. that we're often not. What is the argument to counter the oft given justification of committed relationships, meaning we can accept them despite them being sinful because it's better. Um, this was something that David Cameron, of course, said, um, you know, um, I'm not a concern. I, I, I don't believe in gay marriage, despite being a conservative. I believe in marriage because gay marriage, because I'm a conservative, because I believe in commitment. And it's really good um, if um, <laughs> two men or two women want to be committed. And, you know, that's again something quite often that people that are, you know, struggling with this issue. Um, who are Christians say, well, I just, in the end, I just, um, I just, 
wanted to be committed to someone. This is how I could reconcile. Well, how would you respond to that, Calvin? Well, be committed to Christ if you want to be committed to someone, if you want to be a good Christian. And I acknowledge that it's difficult to live a celibate life, uh, but many people do it. And, it. and we're not called to live an easy life. And part of being a Christian is acknowledging that we have sacrifice in our lives and suffering. Uh, and we can't have a joyful life without those things. So, yeah, commit to Christ if you need to commit to somebody. And and you can be committed without a sexual relationship is the other thing, of course. I'm committed to my father and my sons, yeah. right? You know, <laughs> there's no sexual relationship in that. I'm very committed to my sons. It, it's true, right? but that's a slippery slope because then people will say, well, we'll be in a civil partnership, but we'll, we'll be in a, civil, a celibate civil partnership. And I, th- I think that's, that's, a, that's a very, very dangerous game to play. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I'm just noticing David McKellar's comment here on what we just talked about. Interestingly, thank you. Good to see you, David, by the way. Genetics determines sex, but they seem to argue it does not. They believe it teaches what they want to believe. <laughs> Good point, David. <laughs> Appreciate that one. Um, also, just on this point, can I say that the church's, again, unclear statements on this have been used against uh, Dr. Macareth and against, not but not just David Macareth, who, as a medical doctor, um, had the audacity to say that he wouldn't feel in conscience that he could put on a medical form that a biological woman was a man if they were identifying in the opposite sex or the other way around and for that lost his uh, government job but we've also got teachers who um say that they wouldn't they, they don't believe it will help children um to to for them to, uh to to affirm them in the their the the sex that they say that they are um in these cases Again, where the church has been involved, where church, where the Church of England has been involved in Church of England schools, the church has not stood with those that uphold the truth about being born male and female. Mm. So in our cases, we have had Church of England teaching used against us in the courtroom. And we have been told that our faith is not progressive. We've been put to proof in the courtroom on our kind of Christian faith because the Church of England is saying something different. And again, this is why I'm I'm always astonished that I'm still astonished because I sit in these courtrooms where the Church of England teaching is being, the the Mm. pronouncements, not Mm. the strict teaching or the strict doctrine, but what the bishops are saying is used against us because they are progressing and it makes more sense. And we are the more extreme wing, the kind of wing that might be reported to prevent or something like that. So, um, Calvin, the other thing that struck me about what the Bishop Oxford said was that um, the church is worried that the church is becoming dislocated from culture. Um, um, Is is that a worry that the bishops should have? uh, Should we worry about what the culture thinks and how different we are to the culture? It's a really good sign if the church is becoming dislocated from culture, because it means the church is static and and teaching an absolute truth, a universal truth, uh, which is what it should be doing the church should be shining a light in the ever darkening world around us and the world around us really is darkening faster than ever right now people are lost lonely isolated they see the debauchery and degeneracy around them they see that there's everywhere you look there are lies you're being told lies whether it's about gender sexuality race what does it matter people are lying to you every single day and people want the truth and people want what they're searching for without even knowing it is christ and if the church is offering christ fantastic but if the church instead is trying to offer the same as what society is offering, then why would it be an attractive offer? Why should 
the church be married to the society. Again, it's scriptural. We are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Mm. And it's always these mid white middle class liberal elite bishops saying we need to be more in touch with the society. They don't say that about society in India, where they still have a caste system. They don't say it about the, the patriarchy in the Middle East. They don't say it about many other areas of the world that they turn their nose up at. Of course they don't. They don't want to marry the church to society. They want to marry they want to marry the church to their modern liberal progressive values. Instead of taking their values from the church, they want to put their values onto the church. Imagine the culture, imagine a culture um, set by the truth of the gospel, because the truth sets us free. Imagine that culture. Imagine how kind and how compassionate and how fair and how beautiful and how ordered such a society would be when shaped by the gospel. I think you're defining Um, the kingdom. Well, yes, we'll find it in the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. You know, but thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The truth does set us free. And that's what we're here to do. I mean, that is what we we have the good news. And we're here to contend for that good news and here to point uh, to point people everywhere to the good news of the gospel that sets us free to the bridegroom that is Jesus that laid down his life for us that we might be set free. This is so beautiful. And I think the thing that hurts is that the bishops are meant to lead on this. They're meant to lead on it in the House of Lords because they have that very privileged position. The archbishops are meant to lead on it. And when people are in trouble for speaking about it, they're meant to protect them. But in mm-hmm. fact, it's the opposite. And how is it that that those that speak the true gospel are the ones that become the isolated and the persecuted? Well... Mm-hmm. I think, as we've already said, it's because, in a sense, we're not. If they could put Jesus on a cross, if the religious men and the lawyers and society—I mean, they chose Barabbas at the end of the day over Jesus—but it was the it was the lawyers and the religious men that put him that put him to death. Yeah. And I've sometimes thought that sitting on synod, what would we do when I when we were voting? Oh, yeah. If this vote was put Jesus to death, what would we do right now? Vote for his view of marriage or not? Which shall crucify him, crucify him. Suddenly, the Bible, the, the, the picture, the Bible. I mean, these are this is a very this is very strong what we're saying, Calvin. But that, but the point, but it's real. When you sit there, and our bishops cannot uphold the beauty of marriage for the good of society, and not, and as I see Badur here from Nepal. And I'm thinking across to that caste system in Nepal. How and but the idea already that the LGBT influence is all is coming in strongly to Nepal. It's coming in strongly to the global south. If we don't hold out as as those bearers of light in the West, mm. if they if the church capitulates here, what's what sort of signal are we sending to those to those nations? So so Calvin. How do you see this playing out now then for the Church of England, having got to this point where several bishops and former bishops have said, do we want to see change in the doctrine, change in the practice? Um, is it inevitable? Is that what's going to happen? How do you see it playing out now? I do think it's inevitable at this point. Uh, again, if we refer back to um, the Bishop of Oxford's report, he says he's been speaking to people within the LGBT community, which is a term I don't like because the idea that 
anyone that's of that persuasion is part of a community. It suggests that they're part of a one homogenous group with one hive mind mentality. But I think that's the approach that, it, that he had in that I know many people who suffer, uh, who struggle with uh, um, homosexuality and instead tr try to live a life in Christ. And they live a celibate life and a holy life and, the, and they pray and they work hard on that life. And those were the people that were ignored. Those are the, the minority voices that weren't listened to by the bishop uh, in his report when he said he, he speaks to these minority communities, these LGBT communities, because what he actually did was look for people that have, again, affirm his views. And this is why I think it's inevitable that the church is going down this path. And uh, we're supposed to hear an official uh, response to living in love and faith in February from the bishops, which I su suspect will be very, very watered down in terminology. And again, it won't sound like a big deal, but in practice, it will open the floodgates to a change in doctrine. And I don't know how what that will look like in practice, but I do see that's the way the church is going into apostasy. Well, I think as Calvin, as you've already said, what's happening on the ground, the fact that marriages are being blessed, um, that people are uh, priests are living in same-sex unions, all of this is actually ha happening um, already on the ground. What what concerns me as well, uh, you know, we. The Bible talks about, you know, sounding, making a clear sound and without a vision, the people perish, this, the, this need for clarity. For me, what we might get with something like living in love and faith and already this kind of settlement position that though some believers within the church are kind of putting out as their first stall. You know, we, we, we need some, there needs to be some sort of third province. That's not a very strong bargaining position. And we, and we know what happens in that in terms of women's bishops and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but it's, it's what happens is this. There's, the sound is so muted. It's so unclear, um, but not necessarily from those that are orthodox. So what you might get from the archbishops is something that's not absolutely apostate spoken mm -hmm. they might not say absolutely the doctrine of marriage has changed no they won't no. Around, but they won't dis you see the thing is a strong strong archbishops would have removed the bishop of oxford they'd have long ago removed the bishop of man the bishop the former bishop of manchester um and the bishop of um liverpool paul bays oh, you know, yeah. oh. but, but this is the problem this is not actually weak leadership it's because they're snakes. And, and the fact that they won't outwardly say, look, this is what we're doing. If they just owned it and said, we yeah. are changing doctrine, this is the way it's going. We are embracing gay marriage. If they just said that, they know what would happen. People's red lines would be crossed and, and you know priests and congregations would leave the Church of England, but they do it in this piecemeal way. And that allows cowardice from the priests and congregations to remain and, and say, actually, well, it's not, it's not quite happened or I can still carry on in my little parish without it affecting me. And this is how we encourage lies. This is how we encourage heresy and apostasy by going along with it. So so I want to finish with this question, which Catherine Ann has put on the um, on Facebook. If this is the way the church goes, do those bishops and priests who disagree leave the church or do you fight? from within what what would your what would you say to people who are in the church of England now I'm going to start with Calvin and then go to Andrea I don't believe it's possible at this point to fight from within it's the same argument that Remainers used in Brexit you can't reform an, in, an institution that is fundamentally broken it has to be destroyed and started again uh, and I think 
if, if people want to remain Orthodox and Anglicans, there are many other ways. GAFCON is, is one uh, growing institution around the world. In fact, 70 to 80% of Anglicans are in communion with GAFCON. I think that would be a good approach in this country. But really and truly, people won't leave. And I'll tell you why they won't leave, because of convenience, because of, because of sin, because of pride, because it's comfortable to be the parish priest, uh, the local vicar with your rectory or your manse and your stipend and the status that comes with being that local vicar. And it's very, very difficult for people to give those earthly, earthly things up. Andrew, do you agree with that? I think that, um, I think that it's so entirely broken. And if we had, if it could have been reformed from within, well, wouldn't, wouldn't that, have, been ha wouldn't have that happened before? Well, I've been waiting. When, when were the red lines going to be crossed? At what point were the red lines going to be crossed? When were people going to, to leave? It's, you know, it's, I, what I find very sad is that there are many good men in leading churches in the Church of England who still don't understand the absolute import of what's going on in church house centrally or the lack of the lack of ability that the church has had to disciple parliament, to actually to disciple the nation. Lots of them are doing very faithful work on the ground, but actually they don't make the decision to stand up to the bishop or if they stand up to the bishop or if they get in trouble with the bishop, they find themselves squeezed out, hurt. And then we have a number of really good Anglican priests who we have looked after, uh, mainly below the radar here at Christian Concern, who have been broken by the system or who have left and that breaks my heart. And in, so you have the good men being broken and leaving. You have the, the, the good men that actually call it, call it out. Those that can actually carry on their ministries because they're pretty isolated, perhaps because their ministries are quite, I say isolated, isolated because they've got big ministries or strong churches. Mm -hmm. And they're consumed by that strong local patch, which is doing, yes, a good work. But they can carry on. And if the hierarchy ignores them, will they just carry on? That's some of the bigger Anglican churches. But some of the smaller faithful ones, they get crushed. They get crushed by all. They get actually crushed by all of this. And it's not just, I think Calvin, when he says that priests are often comfortable, well, I think it's, I think it can be a little bit more different. I think it's a little bit more subtle than that. You see, when you become a priest of the church, brings you in and your housing and how your children are educated um, all becomes part of the package. So they getting out then becomes much more difficult because it's not just you, it's your wife, it's your children. Yes. You're on a very low wage. So you can't say that it's, it's very, you're on a low wage because your house is tied in and all of that, all of those sorts of things. So to leave also becomes practically very difficult. So you have to be very strong. You have to be very full of faith to leave because your perhaps your children will all. Where are they going to well, live? Well, I I noticed there's a number of people in the chat saying that you know their church has has adopted this sort of um, agenda, pro LGBT agenda, and they want to leave the church and they're struggling to find an individual church to go to. And then they're the year you're not even talking about. So that's that's individuals, congregant members of churches. And then there's also priests and vicars, which is what we've been talking about just now and the various struggles that they have. We did put out a, um, we did do, I did an interview with Melvin Tinker um, sometime last year, 
why I left the church of England. I think it's had something like 15,000 views that a lot of people have been very interested. His main reason was succession. It, when I die, when I when I retire, um, I can't let these bishops choose who the next person is going to be teaching that my flock. I can't do that. And of course, he did die a little while later. Um, but having secured the future of his church, well done to him um, um, for that. Um, so lots of you know issues to discuss and things to pray about and think about there. But um, the future of the Church of England, sadly, at this point, when you've got several bishops standing up and saying we support same-sex marriage and no bishops standing up and saying, no, the doctrine of marriage is absolutely sacrosanct, cannot be changed. Um, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for the Church of England um, just now. Tim, from scripture in Hebrews 13, it says marriage should be honoured by all mm. and the marriage bed kept pure. Yeah. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Yeah. Um, that's, those are very strong words. Yeah. 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 Well, and strong words to end on there. Uh, listen, thank you very much, uh, Calvin in particular, for joining us and uh, your wisdom and insight um, into all of that. Very much appreciated. Thank you for watching, if you're watching live, and um, it is available again on YouTube and uh, on various podcast um, platforms as well. And do follow us, uh, like us, and follow us on various social media platforms and collect our emails and things as well. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Um, thank you very much. Thank you for a wonderful conversation and thank you for the people commenting as well. God bless you all.